Welcome to Conversations with Q. I'm Lucia Fontaine Powell, Q's Community Marketing Manager, and I'll be interviewing our favourite marketers and entrepreneurs to learn about them and from them. For our fourth episode, I had the pleasure of chatting to content marketing consultant Brittany Berger. Brittany has been a curator at Q since the very beginning, and we've always loved both the content she submits and the energy she brings to any conversation we have with her. Brittany is a self-described content unicorn, and if you work in the SaaS space, you probably know her for her work at Mention, her relatable videos on YouTube and Instagram, and as the general queen of content repurposing. With seven years experience of running content marketing at startups and small businesses, Brittany works with brands to optimize and repurpose their best performing content, developing a more productive and a more successful strategy. In this interview, I talked to her about her career so far, what she's learned about entrepreneurship and her tips for excelling at content marketing. Hi, Brittany. It's really nice to have you here. Um, You've been a curator at Q for the last few years now, I think. So it's really nice to chat to you. Thanks so much for having me here. Absolute pleasure. So just so our listeners can get to know you, where are you based and what's your favorite thing about where you live? I am in New York City, right in the middle of it. And I would say it's actually, people don't expect this, but it is a fantastic place to be an introvert. Mm. Um, everyone's really great at minding their own business. There's It's crowded and there's a lot of people. Uh, and so I actually really love that I can kind of interact with go outside and interact with hundreds of people through like eye contacts and quick nods but I don't have to have conversations with strangers um (laughs) and so I feel like at the same time like I've lived in suburbs and in smaller cities and in the middle of nowhere and I just feel like it's the place where uh, I was immediately comfortable sure thing well New York is probably one of my favorite places on earth I absolutely love it and want to live there so I'm really jealous of you (laughs) but I I get what you mean though about um like I live in London I do like living in a big city because there's that anonymity of it and you can just lose yourself so yeah yeah you're just like part of the crowd exactly as a fellow introvert I really get where you're coming from there um, so you run your own business um, and you help B2B startups refine their content strategy through optimizing or repurposing their top content. How did you get into B2B marketing? Um, I just kind of fell there, to be honest. Um, my When I was in college, I was looking for an internship and I was really interested in the tech industry. But I was living in the middle of nowhere. There was only one tech company, uh, and it was a B2B tech company. I I interned there while I was in college. I ended up then going back to work for them full-time when I graduated for several years. Uh, They happened to be B2B, and I've just never left. Brittany's next move was to Mansion, which offers social media monitoring software, where she became head of content and PR. I asked her what she learned in this role and what made her branch out and start her own business. Sure, that was such an amazing job and I'll get into this more later, but I actually think that why that job was so great is part of why I wanted to start my own business. I kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug um, and wanted to grow a a really cool company like that. Um, But yeah, I learned a ton there. I'd say one of the most valuable things I learned is that I went, my knowledge went so much beyond content marketing. Uh, In the 
first company that I worked at, everything was just really separate and siloed. Um, so I worked in content and in marketing, but I kind of knew nothing about the rest of the company. We didn't communicate with sales that often. And there was a lot of me begging for information and them not seeing why like a blogger needed it uh, since the mm -hmm. whole company wasn't super into the idea of content marketing. Um, so that was definitely a struggle. Whereas at Mention, the whole thing was just a big collaborative effort. You know, we had a lot of um, team meetings. So I learned a lot and, you know, cross collaborative projects and stuff like that. So I remember when I first got started and uh, started there, they explained that I'd be doing a little bit of customer support. I was just like, oh my God, this is so cool. I'm so far outside of just writing blog posts every day. Yeah. Um, but they really make sure that you, uh, they really made sure that we all learned the ins and outs of the whole company so that we could really do what we needed to do in our specific role to serve the needs of everyone. So I learned about customer support and retention and types of marketing other than content, such as like paid advertising and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it was learning about uh, learning about growing a business that really inspired me. I had already had um, blogs and kind of side projects. And I feel like after about six months at Mention, I really wanted to get more serious with them. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. As you, if you work for a really great company, and I have the same thing at Q, where we're a really small team, and I've been lucky enough to kind of get stuck into lots of aspects of the business. So you do just learn so much, and definitely you get a sense for thinking, yeah, maybe I could do this and throw my own thing. That's exactly, really cool. especially um, especially when you're at like a smaller, yeah, smaller company, mm. and you love it because you're like, I could do this for myself. I could. I could do this um, and create this. Definitely. And it's, yeah, it's really helpful. Like I've always done a, a little bit of customer support as well. And if you're writing content, for example, that's invaluable in terms of informing all of the topics you might write about because you're talking directly to your audience. Yeah. I mean, I just remember at my first job, um, it was several years before we actually, that I had been working there before we actually sat down with the actual sales team to create buyer personas. Um, I had kind of come up with stuff based off of what I knew, but the departments didn't really talk to each other. So I had no way of knowing if who I was targeting was actually accurate. Um, and then after a few years, we sat down with someone from the sales team and I learned that we had been writing for years, so like completely wrong person. And the other departments knew this, didn't say anything, you know, it's just everyone was doing their own thing. Um, and it really, if, if, the, if the departments don't talk to each other, you just, you think you're doing your job well. But I remember feeling crushed because I had thought I was doing this awesome work, creating awesome content, but it was written for the completely wrong person. I love that Brittany's LinkedIn bio is content marketing unicorn blasting color and personality into your boring B2B content. I wanted to find out more about her approach to B2B content marketing. And since she touched on mistakes that had been made in her first job, what she thinks businesses are getting wrong and how they can change that. Um, personality. I just think so many B2B businesses are just completely dry, boring content. Um, okay. I, I used to have on my services page, B2B doesn't need to stand for boring to boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just so dry. And it's like the most casual a lot of B2B companies will get will be like, using contractions or putting in a corny pun 
or something like that. And I love the corny puns, but that should not be as far as you're taking things in terms of personality. Um, I am just a super outgoing person. I'm really casual and silly. And so I like writing content where I can be myself and be silly and use gifs and make jokes and stuff like that. Sure. And so what are some brands that you think do this really well and do have a really strong, recognizable personality in the B2B space? I really, really love uh, Trello's brand voice, um, Mm -hmm. how a lot of it is kind of filtered through uh, their mascot, which I feel like they might not use as heavily anymore. But um, yeah, like a lot of it, there's that cute dog mascot. their whole um, their whole vibe is kind of in terms of visual branding is kind of just animated and friendly. And I remember one of the first things I noticed about them years ago when I was first signing up for an account is that on their login page, um, the forms have, you know, the kind of pre-filled copy of like a fake email address before you type in your own. Um, but they had, I forget what it is now, but it might have been someone from, it was a sci-fi character. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it was like a pop culture character. And yeah. I am also a huge pop culture geek. I'm surprised that has not come up in, already in 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> I talk about it. I just, it's hard for me to even have conversations without making analogies to TV and stuff like that. But so mm-hmm. I really noticed that the Trello, every time you refresh the login page, a different TV character's fake email address popped up into the login screen. Yeah. Um, and so I, that has just stuck with me now years later. I love that. Um, let's see. I think it just, yeah, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of brands have gotten really great at this now. Cause I feel like social media has kind of forced all brands to get more comfortable with, um, being casual and conversational and 140 characters. Well now 280, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and I'm really glad that you brought the pop culture up because I was definitely going to ask you about that. And it's <laughs> something that I love doing as well. And we've always done that cute, like using GIFs and emojis. Um, do you ever encounter clients perhaps that are still a bit wary of incorporating these into a professional brand? Um, and do you think there's ever a time and place where it's not appropriate to use those things? Sure, definitely. Um, I think above all, your brand needs to sound like you. So mm. for a lot of smaller companies I work with, um, you know, it's only a few people. So as much as the brand needs to be fun and conversational, it still needs to be, you know, kind of how the founder would talk. Uh, since I think that one of the most detrimental things is to have a really fun brand voice, but then being nothing like that once someone starts working with you. Um, yeah. I kind of have this thing about how about how fast food brands are on Twitter because I feel like it's become a thing that they're all so fun and so wacky on Twitter and I love it. But then the rest of their brand is nothing like that. And so I feel like it really doesn't make sense. And I'm like, if you want to be fun, be fun. Just be fun everywhere, dudes. Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like uh, I have a lot of clients that, I mean, I definitely push their boundaries, but I do not use GIFs or emojis or, uh, you know, the farthest I go is kind of just more jokes than they're comfortable with or something. But I still need to make sure that once they, that whatever I'm writing for them still aligns with anything that they would, you know, write in a one-to-one email to a customer or how they would sound on the phone with someone. Uh, Make sure the overall big picture fits.
So alongside all of your work in content marketing, um, you founded Work Brighter, which is a community and newsletter for female business owners a few years ago. So I'd love to hear more about like the idea behind that and why you set it up and how you went about growing that community. Sure thing. So it's really interesting how Work Brighter has evolved and it's actually in a really, really exciting time right now. But at first, um, I started it as a newsletter and sort of a blog, but I didn't publish, you know, it was more the newsletter. Um, just it was on my own, my regular website, BrittanyBerger.com, when I was first interested in getting started freelancing. And I decided I don't really want to use my freelancing blog to talk more about content marketing and why brands should do it and stuff like that. Because really, if a client wants to see that from me, they can go look at what I'm doing at my day job. I already write about mm -hmm. that. So I thought it would be a really interesting idea to instead um, just turn my freelancing site into my own case study. So instead of, you know, directly marketing my services and what I do, instead I would just grow a blog and business from scratch using content marketing and, you know, show clients what I could do for them. And I really, really loved productivity and organization and planning. I'm just a total Leslie Nope nerd about all of that. And uh, so I decided to start a productivity blog and newsletter, and uh, that was that. It was meant to be just a really small, you know, temporary project as an example of what I could do. But I really, really loved it. And so the newsletter has been going on for three years now. I opened up a Facebook group to go alongside it last year, and I'm currently in the process of actually officially spinning it out into its own business and website. Do you think that that's a good place to grow a community in a Facebook group and what are some good sort of strategies to building that? Definitely. Um, for me, since I know my personality is kind of what makes me stand out and uh, my, my friendliness, my, you know, that just kind of vibe, that's what people are really attracted to with my brand. Um, and so my idea for that was that um, I just need to have a place where I can be friends with my audience since mm -hmm. that's when I can really win them over when I'm just being friendly and myself and not specifically like trying to sell or something like that. I just get super awkward and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I started that about a year ago and it was focused on my email list. So it's not even necessarily a place where I grow and expand my audience so much as a place where I nurture everyone who has already joined my email list or become a customer or something in some sort. But it's just really a place where we can get to know each other better, become friends, be really wacky. Um, if, if the rest of my brand is wacky and silly, the Facebook group is just even more so. Um, <laughs> I like to say that if other business Facebook groups are like business conferences out of town, Mine is like the slumber parties up in the hotel room afterwards where you've got all the food, you've got the comfy clothes, you've got the fun TV. Um, so we've actually, um, I've experimented with a few things for just nurturing my community that have been really fun. Uh, for example, events. Uh, so like I said, pop culture is really tied to who I am. And so it actually launched on uh, Parks and Rec's Galentine's Day. <laughs> And every year we have had a Galentine's Day party. So the first year um, I brought in just some other friends of mine who were just amazing women bosses and they spotlighted what they do. Uh, and just, I just kind of sent virtual Galentines all over the internet to them. 
And then this past year was really great. I actually collaborated with uh, more of a lifestyle brand and they design fun games. Um, And she's just, she was a member of the group. She's a uh, growing her own business and she creates different like PDFs and game printables. So she designed a few Valentine themes, virtual games for us to all play on like a live stream together for Valentine's Day this year. And it was really great. So many people tuned in for like an hour and a half. She made a bunch of sales. um, And it was just, it was really fun. Yeah, I love that idea. And kind of almost treating it as if it were a physical space, you know, exactly. Oh, perfect. That's yes. so cool, yeah. What would you say your um, most used pop culture references are, by the way? Definitely Parks and Rec. Um, <laughs> m- partially because I-, I choose my pop culture references very carefully. It's got to be something that I really, truly love and I won't get sick of, like, talking about. Or if I put it in a blog post, I don't want to go back a year later and be like, oh, I can't believe I liked or just that's so <laughs> stupid or anything like that. So it's got to be something with, like, staying power. But it's also got to be something other people will recognize. And so many people, you know, love Parks and Rec. Uh, Some other ones that I can pretty easily reference are things like um, like Friends or what else? I'm like looking Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt um, references in The Good Place, also pretty common. But yeah, it's like I kind of take everything that I'm interested in and I distill it to also kind of what uh, what. Uh, matches the brand personality the most like for example I like to say that I am personally equal parts Leslie Note from Parks and Rec and Liz Lemon from 30 Rock Um, (laughs) and Liz is just a lot less optimistic and cheery than uh, Leslie so I like to say I'm equal parts of them both but my brand that is all Leslie that's like Mm. the part of my personality so you got to think like which parts of your personality Um, are really most important to your brand and kind of what maybe pop culture elements represent them. Uh, So for example, I have a friend who is just a huge RuPaul's Drag Race um, fan. My best friend's obsessed as well. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so I think that that's a really interesting case study too in um, pop culture references because Mm. that's kind of different in that some of the some of the things from that show are so unique and hilarious that you don't have to know uh, what it's from or recognize it. Um, and so I think another important element of choosing what pop culture references to use is what I like to call their standalone power. Mm. So like how funny is that reference if someone isn't familiar with what you're referencing? Uh, so for example, if you pull out a quote, from a show a lot of times that's a good standalone reference because if you pull out a funny quote it's funny no matter what but then if someone references what or if someone recognizes what it is from that's just like another a bonus layer to the funniness sure no, and that's good advice because I feel like it can be tempting for someone like me to just like stick a load of Beyonce references in everywhere but it would <laughs> like, depend totally do right. that yeah but I mean, they are kind of are always applicable, but you know, sometimes it does really depend on the audience you're writing for as well. So got exactly. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you a bit more about entrepreneurship and working for yourself. And um, how do you set goals when you work for yourself? Like, who are you accountable to? And what do you do if you don't meet them? Um, that's the tough part. Since I'm really I've learned I'm not great at just being accountable to myself. Um, 
I found that I am, I tend to prioritize what other people need from me and stuff like that before I prioritize myself. Uh, that's just an ongoing battle with self-care that I'm working on. And I know a lot of people can relate to. Um, but yeah, so I found it actually really difficult to just be accountable to myself and being both the, both the team and the boss. So I think that you just need to figure out what works for you. So for me that involved, well, if I'm going to easily, you know, if I have no problem letting myself down, what can I do to build in some more accountability so I won't let other people down? Sure. Uh, so I am part of a mastermind with a few friends and we set weekly goals. And that way I can kind of, I have to deal with the embarrassment of coming to them and being like, oh, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Um, so that's a little bit of um, accountability and support there. In addition to the mastermind, I more recently started working with a business strategist and a coach. And it kind of feels like she's like my tutor or in a little bit of like my boss or my teacher. And I am by nature such a teacher's pet, uh, like, <laughs> regardless of how introverted I was. I always, you know, raised my hand up high in school, did all my homework early. Um, so that's just who I am. And so I knew that working with a coach or a strategist or some kind of authority figure um, that I would just feel this really deep seated need to impress them and make them happy. And so that has been great for building in schedules and accountability for me. Uh, so I think it's just all about figuring out what works for you. Um, I know some people where as soon as they know other people want them to do something, they don't want to do it. And so in that case, you know, I might stay away from sharing all of your goals with a mastermind group. Mm. Yeah, I think those kind of communities can be really valuable. But also, I think people probably don't talk about that as much having a coach or something can be super helpful. And I'm like you in that sense. I'm very much a teacher's pet so <laughs> probably suit me too um so I was watching one of your vlogs the other day and you're talking about how your business isn't what makes you happiest and it's actually other things that you just do in your spare time like dancing for example which make you feel motivated and fulfilled and I find that really refreshing to hear because I think we're fed so much kind of hashtag never stop hustling content on social media like in the startup entrepreneur world and people lose perspective on what it means to actually be successful. And I'm totally stealing this question from Sophia Amoruso's Girlboss podcast. But um, I love that podcast. <laughs> so good. But what is your definition of success? Um, and how do you set boundaries for yourself and achieve a work-life balance that works for you? So this has changed so much for me in the past few years because a few years ago, I feel like I was the very stereotypical startup person who was constantly hustling, who took pride in being busy and um, was always looking for more. And a few years ago, my definition of success was almost completely probably tied to my career and how much I accomplished in that. Um, but when I was at Mention, I had a lot of um, health issues that have now turned into chronic things that I will be dealing with forever, partially because of how long I ignored it to focus on my work. Uh, so I've really learned the hard way uh, how you cannot put your career first in your life, especially above things like your health. So I always say that my health is a KPI of success in my business. Like there's leads generated, there's dollars made, there is sick days needed because mm -hmm. um, I, like, like you could probably tell when I was talking about my job there earlier, I loved it there. Um, so as much as I loved the stuff I was doing on the side, uh, I really was trying to just balance all of it. I wasn't necessarily trying to leave my day job. 
Um, and so I just really worked myself into the ground. Temporary health issues turned into permanent health issues. And I needed to take a step back from a ton of stuff and really slow down. Uh, so that was about a year ago that I did that now. And it's really been focused on just redefining what success is for me, what busy is for me, what okay feeling is for me. Um, but I really think that, um, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to you know, do this thing for yourself, that you don't let it get in the way of the other areas of your life. Um, like I think most of us don't start a business because we want the title of CEO. I know that like some mm -hmm. people probably, but most of us is more tied to what owning a business allows us to do. Um, so for example, for me, it was focusing on my health and my hobbies. Uh, but it's so easy to then, once you're succeeding in your career, forget about all the other things that uh, really were bigger and more important to you, but you just can't take that step away and see them. So tunnel vision just turns into a really big thing. If you've ever watched any of Britney's video content, you'll know that she's a real natural on camera. It feels like she's just talking to a friend, which is what makes her video so engaging. I really wanted to find out whether this was what she was thinking of when she was making them, and whether video content had come naturally to her or it was something she'd had to work at. Yeah, it does come pretty natural to me. Um, I grew up on stages with dance and musical theater, and I very much consider myself an entertainer, maybe an aspiring comedian. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so actually I got into video less because of what it would do for my business and more because I just wanted that creative outlet and I knew that it would be a, um, a place where I could really have fun. Sure. And so I think that the 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 quote unquote pivot to vid video is very um, a lot of pressure right now. And I think that um, like there there were a good few years that I knew video was a good idea, but I didn't do it because it wasn't right for me and my strategy at the time. I waited until it was something that I needed in my life. And I think that um, video really is a great idea. Um, I actually was kind of astonished at um, how quickly uh, it, my videos kind of made an impact. And I kind of feel like um, I had been, you know, like I wasn't a stranger to my industry. I will admit that, you know, I, I build my personal brand and I work hard to become known. But video just, you know, I felt like there were companies and audiences that I'd been trying to get noticed in forever. And it wasn't until I started doing video that those people noticed me. And it was kind of ridiculous how easy it was once I started doing video. But again, that was because I was doing what felt really natural to me and what I knew I was good at. Um, and so I think that if for you that's not video, then um, always be thinking about like how you're going to play to your own strengths. Um, so I think that really podcasting, especially with this app that we're using right now, is maybe uh, underestimated as an easy content yeah. format along with, um, along with images, uh, like graphics, not necessarily photos. Um, but yeah, so I think it's just all about playing to your strengths. I have succeeded in video because of who I am as a person, and that's why I got into video in the first place. Um, so if I knew that um, I don't know if I knew that I had, you know, since I guess since I've already mentioned health problems, if I knew that my health problems affected my voice, uh, that would have been another thing because I would have had to really factor that into um, how much I could record videos or something like that. Mm. Um, so maybe that, you know, would have been written. But I really think that um, the only reason it worked for me is because it played to all of my strengths.
For Brittany, content marketing in 2018 is all about playing to your strengths. But it can be overwhelming to know where to start now there are so many different types of content to choose from. Blogging, video, audio, graphics, etc. I asked her to walk us through her top tips and strategies for exploring content repurposing options. Sure thing. So I like to say that repurposing is anything that gets new results out of old or existing content. Um, because I feel like um, with so many options, a lot of people are just concerned about being everywhere. So they create a new publish uh, or they create a new piece of content and they want to publish it everywhere on every platform that they can think of. Um, and so that's their kind of repurposing strategy is they publish a or they go live on Facebook and then they publish it on Instagram video and YouTube and uh, blog posts and they write an email, uh, but it's only a mediocre Facebook live to begin with. Yeah. Um, so I really try to move people away from the goal of being everywhere with their content to having the right content be in as many places as possible. Um, so I think that the best thing for repurposing when you're first getting started, really more digging into this and moving away from kind of the content creation hamster wheel where you're just always doing one and done blog posts and moving on to the next one. Mm -hmm. um, I think a really good place to start would just be an audit. I know at Mention, we once went, um, when we first dug deep into all of our old content and started um, going back to update it because of how much our business had changed. Uh, we spent a good three months on it where um, other members of the marketing department were writing blog posts and uh, we were accepting guest posts. But I'd say that there were three months where I was not writing uh, much new content at all. And instead I was just going back and um, working, working with what we already had. Um, and so there's two categories that I say are most important with repurposing, especially at the beginning when you're working on your backlog. Um, and I like to say that those are the greatest hits and the hidden gems. Mm -hmm. So the greatest hits, kind of obvious. Um, you go back, you look at your 10 most popular posts and think where else would these succeed? So you might want to update them and just republish them again on your blog with newer information. Uh, you might want to go on some podcasts, uh, pitch some podcasts talking about this topic and you can then reference the blog posts the way that we have talked about some of my videos and stuff in this post. You can, um, you can send a new email to your list. One thing that I had even done for a client is turned a really in-depth, uh, I think it was like 4,000 word blog post. We turned it into a five day free email series so that that was then, uh, that then became a lead generation tool in addition to this great high ranking piece of content that they had on their blog. Um, so I love looking at someone's greatest hits and looking at what more we can do with them. Um, but then in the other category, the hidden gems, those are kind of things that you thought would be amazing, you were really excited about, and they just didn't perform the way you thought they would the first time around. Um, and yeah, repurposing is a really great opportunity to give anything that didn't, uh, didn't do what you wanted the first time some new life and chance to get new results. So you can go to a really long blog post that totally missed the mark and you can say, is this the wrong content or is this too much content? And you can either rewrite it or cut it down or something like that. Um, we've discussed a few different tactics here, like video and audio content. And I love the idea of doing an email series, actually. I think that's really cool. But I'd be really interested to know if there are any either types of content or strategies that you just think never work. 
Um, really, I just think that the uh, everything everywhere strategy of repurposing is just not great. Um, along with kind of publishing every, uh, publishing every day these days. Um, I don't necessarily think publishing, trying to publish content every day is going to turn anyone off or, you know, it's not that I think that that will uh, like impact anything on the outside, but I think that if you're trying to keep up with that and publishing a new piece of content really frequently, uh, your priorities then get taken away from things like getting results from the content and distributing and promoting it and making sure you're actually generating leads or whatever your main uh, metric is. Uh, so I think that um, really high volume content strategies tend not to work these days, less because high volume content doesn't work and more because of just what that then means you're neglecting. Sure. And are there any trends in the marketing world that you're really excited about now and you think are going to blow up in the next sort of few months to a year? I am loving newsletters. Um, so I have had Work Brighter as a newsletter for about three years. And it's always been I was very inspired by the skim when I started it. Um, and so it's always been kind of um, very traditional newsletter, which has gotten kind of a bad rap in the marketing world over the past few years um and you know everyone says you know offer a lead magnet don't don't say join my newsletter and so i feel like that's kind of become overblown and it's not that newsletters are bad it's that boring company focused newsletters are bad and that saying join my newsletter is just not compelling copy <laughs> um, <laughs> but i've seen a lot of companies just really get unique and put effort into their newsletters again um into really making them their own valuable piece of content instead of just, uh, you know, a place to dump information that they need people to know or to link out to stuff. Um, so Q's, Q's newsletter is amazing um, in terms of, uh, in terms of like some more consumer focused ones, things like the hustle. And I just really think uh, sort of newsletter based products are growing again because we have, so much email in our inbox that um, newsletters are a way to condense what might have been three emails your brand would have sent into one. Um, so it's a way to maybe rethink your email content strategy, send less email, send better email, uh, all that fun stuff. And especially with um, GDPR, with you know just the way that opt-in uh, opt-ins being handled changing I think uh, I think it was Thrive Themes that wrote a blog post about this um, but they wrote about one of the best ways to deal with well what do I put on my opt-in form now that's GDPR compliant blah 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 um, they were talking about how you know just positioning your newsletter as the product instead of this whole sneaky lead magnet and a sales funnel mm -hmm. and a newsletter type of thing uh, just focus on really creating a great newsletter that people would want to opt into without you know hiding it behind a lead magnet or a freebie is really valuable. And I hope that more of that starts happening. Cool. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. Um, but where can our listeners find you on social media? So you can find me on any of the social media networks at that Berg. Uh, so kind of like it's my version of just Jack that Berg. <laughs> um, so that Bieberg and then my website uh, for the marketing business is BrittanyBerger.com and the new website that just went live for Work Brighter is at WorkBrighter.co.
episode of Conversations with Q with special guest Brittany Berger. I personally loved Brittany's perspective on taking the boring out of B2B marketing, her content repurposing tips, and her insights on the importance of self-care as a solopreneur, so I hope you did too. If you'd like to have a chat with us about anything we discussed in this episode, feel free to tweet us at Q underscore co or call into our Anchor FM station, QCast. We'd also love it if you could give us some stars on iTunes so that more people find us.